Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, many blessings and privileges in life require certain qualifications. For example, children, maybe your parents tell you you can go out to play only after you have first cleaned your room or done your chores. Those are the qualifications you have to meet to enjoy the privilege of being able to go play. Or or maybe some of you older ones, in order to own your home, you needed to meet certain financial qualifications. You needed to be able to make a down payment. You needed to be able to show that you could afford the mortgage you take out. And the same kind of qualifications are usually required for owning other things, such as a car. And then even to be able to drive a car, you need to show that you're able to drive it safely by passing a driving exam. You think even of jobs. Almost every job requires certain qualifications, a certain level of education, or a certain amount of experience, and so on. We need to meet certain qualifications. We need to do certain things for so many blessings and privileges that we enjoy. And sometimes we can think the same way about the greatest blessing and privilege of all, the blessing of salvation. We can think that that salvation, that acceptance with God, that fellowship with God requires certain qualifications that we must fulfill, certain things that we must do, certain works we must perform, certain feelings we must have, certain experiences we must point to, Certain this and certain that. We can think that we need to somehow qualify ourselves in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, in order to be accepted by God and have fellowship with Him. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. This idea, congregation, the idea that our salvation depends in part or or depends at least in part on something in us can so easily and so subtly seep into the thinking, even the thinking of Christians, of true believers. But this idea, beloved, is not only wrong, it also causes so much trouble, both in general and also when it comes to to the Lord's Supper. This idea that salvation depends, at least in part, on something in us, it causes ungodly pride, and self-righteousness. It causes unholy criticism and judging of others, even among professing Christians. It causes the unsaved to think they are saved because they, they, they look at their church membership or their church attendance or their good deeds or their kind words or, or their prayers and so on and so forth. It causes people who should not be going to the Lord's Supper to go based on the fact that their lives look good and holy on the outside or or based on their feelings or based on a special spiritual experience they may have had when their heart is really far from God. And on the other hand, it causes true believers to doubt whether they are really saved. It causes those who should go to the Lord's table, those who are truly saved, to not go because they don't think they measure up. 
They haven't done enough. They haven't understood enough. They haven't experienced enough. They don't feel saved. They don't have full assurance. Well, congregation, that's why we need the reminder. Also, as we think about the Lord's Supper next week, as we begin to examine ourselves, we need the reminder that salvation is not by our works. It's by God's grace. And that's what, with God's help, we hope to learn from Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving to his Father. In our text this morning, Matthew 11, verses 25 and 26. We need to learn for the first time and again to depend not on ourselves, but on God in Christ for our salvation. So our theme then with God's help is Jesus glorifies his Father that salvation is by his grace. Jesus glorifies his Father that salvation is by his grace. First of all, clearly so. Secondly, entirely so. And thirdly, assuredly so. And so first then, Jesus glorifies his Father that salvation is by his grace, clearly so. In verse 25, congregation, we read these words, Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Now, when we just read that verse by itself, it it maybe doesn't make much sense. To really understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand what was happening. We need to back up. In the second half of Matthew 11, which we read, the Lord Jesus is dealing with the the sad unbelief and rejection of the gospel of the kingdom. The, The rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. In verses 16 to 19, Jesus rebukes the people of his generation for the ridiculous, childish criticism of John the Baptist and Jesus. And then in verses 20 to 24, Jesus begins to pronounce judgment on several cities in Galilee that that had refused to repent and believe in spite of all the mighty works he had done. Works like the ones he he mentions earlier in in, in Matthew 11, if you look at verse 5. Works that proved who he was. Works like healing the blind and the lame and the deaf and cleansing the lepers, and and raising people from the dead, and preaching the gospel to the poor. These works should have led the people to repentance and faith in Jesus. But they didn't. Instead of humble repentance, Jesus' ministry was, was met with proud rejection. And our Lord answers, he he responds to that rejection, doesn't he, with a very sobering pronouncement of judgment. But it's at that time that he prays this prayer of thanksgiving to his Father in our text. Jesus was dealing in the context with resistance and rejection. Although if you look at the parallel account in in Luke 10, we also read that he was was experiencing some encouragement as well when he prayed this prayer. But But the overall context that Matthew especially emphasizes is one of rejection. And yet he responds, he responds He answers by thanking God. And what is it? What is it he thanks God for? Well, look at the text. I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. These things, congregation, are the, 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 the things that Jesus declares God has hidden from the wise and prudent and revealed to babes. They're the truths that his, that his mighty works pointed to. They're the truths that, that he is the Messiah, that he is the long-promised Savior and Lord, that in him is everlasting life and salvation from sin and from the judgment of God. And so, in other words, when Jesus says here, I thank thee, Father, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes, He's saying that what he sees in the proud rejection of Capernaum and and Chorazin and and Bethsaida, what he sees is not a sign of his failure or of his father's failure, but rather a reflection of his father's glorious way of salvation. Hiding the truths, the truths that lead to salvation from the wise and prudent and revealing them unto little babes. It's a glorious way because it's a way. It's a way that shows salvation is by His grace. Clearly so. We see that in in a couple of ways. First of all, Jesus really is declaring here that salvation, salvation is a sovereign work of God. Notice even how Jesus addresses His Father. He, He says, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. It's a reference to his, his being sovereign. And in his sovereignty, Jesus says, the Father hides the truth that lead to salvation from the wise and prudent, and he reveals them to babes. And the point, congregation, I just want us to see right now is that salvation, what this text is saying is salvation is not something we do. It's something God does. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that congregation also as we begin this week of self-examination. Self-examination is important. But don't try and turn self-examination into self-salvation. It's easy to do that. We naturally like to try to solve problems ourselves. We don't want to be dependent on anybody. We live in a DIY, a do-it-yourself society. And so when something you don't, you don't know how to fix breaks down in the home or, or perhaps on the farm or, or on the job site or when something goes wrong in life, what, what's the first thing you do? Well, many, people, many people will pull out their phones and they'll, not, not, not to call for help, but, but to see if they can fix it themselves. Your dishwasher breaks down and, you, and so you look up a YouTube video about, about how to fix your broken dishwasher. We're like that the little toddler who, who always yells, I do it. And our natural instinct, as it were, is to do that when we see the problem of our own sins and sinfulness too. We naturally try to save ourselves by doing some good works or by looking for certain feelings and experiences. But beloved, the reality is that doesn't work. You can't save yourself. Only God can do that. But salvation is not only a sovereign work of God, it's also, it's also a surprising work of God. Did you notice that? Christ says that his Father hides these things. He hides salvation from who? 
from the people we would naturally think should have it, from the wise and prudent. In other words, he he refuses salvation to people who rely on, who trust in their own human wisdom and understanding. As that one Psalter goes, we, we sing, and I think it's 403, no human might, no earthly pride delights the Lord above. You see, Jesus is not saying here that God hides his salvation from intelligent people or from smart people. He's saying he hides his salvation from proud people, from self-reliant people, from people who are wise in their own eyes, people like the ones in Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, people who are proudly rejecting Christ Jesus, who is the very wisdom of God in favor of their own ideas and of their own wisdom and of their own works or of their own covenant membership or of their own experiences. And in contrast, and in contrast, this is an amazing, surprising thing. He reveals his salvation to babes or to little children. We'll look at that word more in a few moments in our second point. But, but for now, just notice the contrast. It's surprising. The Father hides these things, wonderfully surprising. He hides these things from the wise and prudent and reveals them to babies or little children, people who have nothing to boast of, people who are completely and totally dependent on his mercy. It reminds me of what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1. You know, the Corinthians, they were, they were being tempted to boast. They, were, they had all these divisions. Well, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, and I'm of Christ. And they had all these divisions and they were boasting in themselves and, and he says to them in first, verses 26 to 29 he reminds them of something he says for you see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound or, or to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What does that tell us? It tells us the same thing that our, own, our text here in Matthew 11 is, is saying. God's hiding these things from the wise and prudent and revealing them to babes tells us that salvation is by His grace. Clearly so. And shouldn't that be an encouragement? Shouldn't that be an encouragement to you who are struggling? As children of a child of God, you are fearful, you are are trembling. You you look at yourself and you see nothing at all, nothing at all in yourself to make you worthy of salvation. You don't have any righteousness in yourself to speak of. You don't have any experiences to rely on. You don't have full assurance of faith. But isn't Jesus saying, isn't Jesus saying here in our text that you don't need any of that for salvation? Isn't he saying, isn't he saying you just need him? And if you just need him, if you just need Christ for salvation, for acceptance and fellowship with God, then isn't he also all you need to be able to go to the Lord's Supper? O congregation, don't misunderstand me. 
It is true we must examine ourselves, but we must not end in ourselves. We must end in Christ because our text is clear. Salvation is not by anything in ourselves. It's by God's grace in Christ. But maybe you say, well, okay, I, I agree. Salvation is clearly by God's grace, but, but is there nothing at all we need to do to be accepted by God? Are there really no works we must do? Are there really no experiences we must have to qualify us to come to the Lord's Supper next week? Uh, isn't that a little dangerous? Won't hypocrites and, and, and the ungodly think that they can come too then? Well, those are good questions. And we need to be clear. The Bible is clear. Hypocrites and the ungodly may not come to the Lord's Supper. The Bible is very clear. 1 Corinthians 11, which we read, reminds us of that. And that's why it's important then to examine ourselves, to look for the evidences of God's grace in our hearts and lives. But those evidences, congregation, don't qualify for us for salvation, and they don't even qualify us for the Lord's Supper. Not even in part. It's God's grace and His grace alone that qualifies us. And we see this from our text. As we come now to our second point, when Jesus glorifies His Father, that salvation is by His grace not only clearly so, but entirely so. And here I want to zero in on that last phrase in verse, in verse 25 when he, he says that of his, of, the, of his Father that he re, has revealed these things. He has revealed his salvation unto babes or unto little babies. Just think about that, that phrase for a, for a minute. Who are the people to whom God reveals his salvation? Jesus says they are, they are babes or, or babies. He's using this, this picture of a baby to describe the kind of people that God saves. You think about what a baby is like. I know sometimes we say oh, babies are cute, but that's not, that's not what the Lord is talking about here. He's not referring to a baby's cuteness. He's referring to a baby's helplessness and weakness. Other places in the New Testament use this word to refer to infants or children who still need milk, who cannot eat solid food. Matthew uses this word only one other time in, in Matthew 21, verse 16, when Jesus quotes Psalm 8, verse 2, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings or nursing infants, thou hast perfected praise. And so this word Babes or, or babies here, it's, it's a picture that Jesus is using of the helpless, of the weak, of the needy, of the ones who cannot do anything for themselves. And children, maybe you have a baby brother or a baby sister in your home. Maybe I can ask you a question. Can that baby do anything for, for himself or, or for herself? No, of course not. Your baby brother or your baby sister is completely helpless, totally dependent on the care of your mom and dad. Your mom and dad have to, have to feed him and have to change him and have to wash him and carry him and do everything for him. That baby brother, that baby sister cannot help their parents do any of that. They are completely helpless. They are totally and absolutely dependent on their parents. And so the Lord Jesus is saying, he's saying that the people whom God saves, to whom he reveals these things, are the totally helpless 
And what does that teach us, congregation? If the people whom God saves are, the, are, the, are, are, are totally helpless in and of themselves, then salvation must be entirely all by God's grace. God doesn't save us partly by grace and partly by our works. No, he saves by grace and by grace alone. We know that because the people to whom he reveals these things, the people whom he causes to understand the truth of salvation, the truths concerning Jesus, are people who in and of themselves are like babies, unable to do anything, unable to help themselves in any way. They cannot contribute one iota to their salvation. All they have to contribute is their helplessness, is their depravity, is their sinfulness. They have no worthiness in themselves, no power in themselves, no anything in themselves. The Lord could not have chosen a better picture of helplessness. And the fact that those are the people whom God saves underscores that salvation is all by his grace, entirely so. John Calvin said about this text that Christ here magnifies the grace of the Father on this ground, that he does not disdain to descend to the lowest and most abominable, that he may raise, that he may raise up the poor out of filth. The point is, beloved, it's God's grace and only God's grace that saves you and me. And it's God's grace and only God's grace that makes you welcome at the table next week. That's what self-examination congregation is meant to teach us and to remind us of. Self-examination is not meant to restrict the Lord's Supper to the sinless or to the strong in faith or to those who, as the form we read earlier puts it, those who are perfect and righteous in themselves. Yes, we must examine ourselves to see if there are fruits of God's grace, the fruits of repentance from sin and and faith in Christ and love for God and others. But self-examination isn't meant to bring us to the Lord's Supper trusting in ourselves. In our repentance or in our faith or in our obedience. No, self-examination is meant to bring us to the Lord's Supper humbly confessing that we are babies that we are helpless in and of ourselves, that we have nothing, that we are nothing, and that Christ is everything. It's meant to bring us to the table of the Lord, humbly depending on God's grace in Christ, because only God's grace can save us and bring us into true communion with God. Our text teaches us That salvation is by God's grace entirely, not only by the people whom God saves, but also the way he saves. He saves by revealing these things. Revealing the truths that we need to know in order to be saved. And he reveals these truths not just to to their minds, not just just outwardly, but but inwardly to, to, to their hearts by his Spirit. Congregation, salvation doesn't happen by our figuring things out. It happens by God's sovereign and gracious revelation. We see an example of of this a few chapters later in Matthew, in Peter's confession in Matthew 16. 
Jesus had asked his disciples whom people were saying he was, and the disciples said, well, some say that, that thou art John the Baptist, others say, or some Elijah, and, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them this question, but whom say ye that I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter answers, and he says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then listen to how Jesus answers Peter in verse 17. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for thou hast with thy great mind discovered this truth. No, that's not what he says, is it? He says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. Peter's confession. The truth that he confessed was a gift of grace. And it's, a, it's one of the, it's part, of the, part of, the, 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 of what we need to know and believe in order to be saved. That Christ, that, that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the promised Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. But the point is it was revealed to him by his Father, by the Father in heaven. The way we we come to salvation, congregation, is not by our figuring it out. It's entirely by God's gracious revelation. Salvation is by God's grace, entirely so. Do you understand that? Have you learned that you are a needy, helpless sinner? Have you learned to look to, outside of yourself to Christ? Are you, are you wanting to live in submission and obedience to Him and thankfulness to Him? Oh, then how humble, congregation, how humble you should be. Think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. For who makes thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that, that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? The point is, congregation, how humble we should be how humble we should be when we are looking to God in Christ because that's entirely a work of His grace. And so there shouldn't be anyone, there shouldn't be anyone at the Lord's Supper next week who is proud of himself or of herself. There shouldn't be anyone who goes to the table and at the same time is looking down on others. Salvation is by God's grace, entirely so. And that should lead us, congregation, to depend on God in Christ, to be done with ourselves and to be cast ourselves on the grace of God alone. And yet we struggle, don't we? We struggle to let go of self-reliance. Or maybe we struggle with doubts. Is God's grace really all-sufficient? Will it remain all-sufficient? And this brings us to our third and last point. Jesus glorifies his Father that salvation is by his grace, not only clearly so, not only entirely so, but also assuredly so. We see this especially in verse 26, but to understand it better, let's begin at verse 25 again. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them to babes. And then listen to how he continues. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. 
Jesus here is confirming, he's affirming what he just thanked his father for. That salvation is by grace, clearly and entirely so. He's saying it, it, that's for sure. It's for sure, entirely by his grace. Why? What makes it for sure? Because it's rooted, congregation, in God's sovereign good pleasure and will. So it seemed good. Or you could translate, so it was pleasing in thy sight. In other words, God's hiding these things from the wise and prudent and revealing them to babes. His his saving sinners by grace alone, clearly and entirely, is what God delights in. It's what he's always delighted in. It's been his plan to do it this way from all eternity. A congregation, God doesn't change. And that means, that means he's not going to change his way of saving sinners. He's not going to suddenly decide tomorrow that salvation isn't by grace anymore. If he did, none of us would have any hope. But no, it's always going to be the case. It's always going to be the case. Because it's his good pleasure that God hides his salvation from the wise and prudent, those who are relying on themselves and reveals them unto babes. And just, just by the way, don't think, don't think that that means that, that people who are, who are self-reliant now are, are, aren't ever, can never be saved. No, God in his sovereign grace can make wise and prudent people into little babies, dependent on God alone. But, but the point is, it, it's always going to be that way. No one will ever be saved. No one will ever come to know the Lord in a saving way. No one will ever be able to become a true Christian or be, to become acceptable to God on the basis of their own efforts or their own wisdom or their own feelings or their own anything. Not just because that's impossible, but because that's not God's pleasure. That's not what seems good to him. That's not what pleases him. What pleases him is saving sinners merely and entirely by his grace. It's for sure. Because he never changes. And it's his good pleasure. Salvation is by God's grace, assuredly so, not only because it's rooted in his sovereign good pleasure and will, but also, congregation, because the Son of God here in our text, joyfully affirms it. We know from Luke's account in Luke 10 that Jesus said these words rejoicing in the Spirit. He not only thanks his Father for working this way, for for saving sinners by grace alone, he joyfully affirms it. And we see that in our text. Even so, yes, Father, Jesus wholeheartedly agrees with his Father. He is fully committed fully committed to his Father's plan and congregation, that ultimately is the greatest reassurance to us that salvation is indeed entirely by grace. You see, beloved, the reason there can be salvation by grace, the reason there can be any salvation for any of us at all is because Jesus joyfully affirmed his Father's plan because he said, even so, he said yes to his Father. He said yes in our text. But above all, he, as it were, said yes to his Father by going to the cross and by hanging there in the place 
of sinners so that salvation could be by his Father's grace, assuredly so. Well, then in light of Jesus, yes to his Father. The call is that we answer yes to him. That we acknowledge our helplessness and our hopelessness in and of ourselves. Won't you do that? If you've never done that, won't you do that this morning? And if you have done that, won't you do it again? Won't you do it next week when you come to the, to the table? Won't you forsake all your self-reliance and come unto Jesus? That's what he calls you to do. You keep reading. Keep reading. We'll look at that more next week. That's how he calls us to come to the table too. By coming unto him. All ye who labor and are heavy laden. And he promises, he promises as we hope to hear more next week, that when you do, when you come to him relying on his grace, he will give you rest. Jesus thanked and glorified his Father that salvation is by his grace, clearly so, entirely so, and assuredly so. Will you thank and glorify him too? Amen.